queue. You don't get to drive here and then be quiet. Um, we are going to be in many places in Scripture. We're going to be in the Fruit of the Spirit series again. And for people who love order, I apologize. The next Fruit of the Spirit, technically, according to the list, ought to be gentleness that we're working on. But today we're going to actually be looking at faithfulness because that was the one that I was a bit more excited to speak about. So I'm a rebel. I'm not bound by anything. You can tell by the clothes and by the fact that I skipped one word in the sentence. But there we go. We're going to be looking at faithfulness today. You know, the other day, our cat was gone for an entire day. We have a cat. His name is Frodo or Dodo because Timmy can't produce the word Frodo out of his mouth, so he calls it Dodo. Sometimes it's also named Cat. And it, it usually, it has this rhythm of life where it wants to be in the garage overnight. No, it wants to be outside of the house overnight so it can hunt things, and then it wants to sleep in the garage all day where it can just sleep. And get fed in between a couple times a day. But it actually disappeared for like a 24-hour period, which was unusual. And then it came back without a collar and with like a hurt foot that it's kept wet for the last week or two. And it reminded me of a story of another cat you might know about named Scratchy Cat. Back by unpopular demand. You might remember Scratchy Cat. Scratchy Cat was that cat that got adopted sometime, you know, 35 years ago when this whole lockdown thing started. We were doing stories about Scratchy Cat, and Scratchy Cat was this really mean cat that used to attack this dog that belonged to a dog owner. And eventually this dog owner adopted this mean cat that liked to scratch dogs. Does anybody remember this? I know, this is back, this is somewhere in between your midterm memory turning into your long-term memory turning into your long-forgotten memory. But Scratchy Cat was this adopted cat that lived with Master. And Scratchy Cat himself also had a bit of a routine that was similar to our cat's routine, where it would just kind of spend the evenings out there finding mice to chew the heads off of and finding birds to parade around the yard and to leave on the front doorstep. And then sleeping during the day and then just wanting for food. It was a good life. And there was lots of affection whenever he wanted. For those 14 seconds a day that a cat likes affection, it would come get it from the master, and whenever it wanted trouble, it could go pick trouble with the dog, and it just had a very simple life. It was a good life. It was a very simple life. But Scratchy Cat sometimes wondered if there was more out there. He heard stories from other cats that there were other more exciting things to do out there than just hang around with master all day and, and have a good life with master and do, do whatever master taught him to do, try to catch one of master's mice every once in a while. And so one day, Scratchy Cat packed up all of its earthly belongings, which was essentially just its collar, and it went for a little walk. And it wasn't too long before it found another house down the street that seemed like the real place to be. This, this house had a little saucer of milk on the outside, and after eating it, this, this crazy old cat guy came out after drinking out of the milk saucer a little bit and offered Scratchy Cat um, something to sniff, some catnip, which just changed Scratchy Catch's life for, for a little bit there. And he decided, this is the place I want to be now. Now, unfortunately, after going into Crazy Catman's house, um, he found that Crazy Catman also had a bunch of other cats. And those cats didn't look like they were in very good shape. 
they hung around because they didn't mind the catnip and the saucers of milk, but they, they looked scrangy, they looked mean, they looked upset. And after a while, they found out that, he found out that the reason that these cats weren't looking so good was because of the guy. Because he didn't actually love cats. What he liked to do was grab cats and throw cats and every once in a while put a few cats inside of a burlap sack and shake them and see what they would do, which isn't good stuff. And so after a while, Scratchy Cat started to really question his choices. Was it such a good thing to go? Now, he'd been bit by now and scratched by now and was hooked on the, the nip. But he was thinking, you know what, for all the fun I get to have and for all the fights I get to have and for all the weird stuff I get to do, this just, just isn't the same. Somewhere along the line, Scratchy Cat had realized that he'd also lost his collar that had his name and his address on it. And so he was wondering, you know, I don't want to live here anymore, but can I go back home? And he's thinking, well, I don't really have anywhere to go. I don't want to be here. I don't want to end up just clawed to nothingness by other cats here. And so he started the trek back to Master's house, wondering if Master would recognize him without his collar anymore. So he got home and he started doing his apology meows, hoping that Master would recognize his cat voice. You know what Master did? Of course he did. And Master did what all cat owners do whenever the cat comes home looking worse for wear. He gave his big sigh like, what did you get up to this time? And then he said, okay, come on in. He started taking care of him. Gave him one of those tick tick drops on the back of the head. Got him another collar again. Started taking care of him and petting him and getting him back to health so that he could hunt mice during the night and sleep during the day and be a pain in the neck to dog whenever he was bored and just kind of get back to normal life. Scratchy Cat was really grateful that Master was faithful. That Master was willing to take him back after he had shown a lack of faithfulness to master. No one would ever say that a cat is the most faithful animal in the world. Amen? If you want faithful, what do you get? A dog, yes. A dog will lay on a hand grenade for you and think it's a good time. Unfortunately, if you throw a hand grenade, the dog will go catch it and bring it back to you. So you've got to hold on to that thing for a bit because dogs aren't smart necessarily, but they're faithful. Sometimes I'm a lot more cat-like than dog-like with the Lord. And more fortunately than anything, the Holy Spirit is given to believers to take us from being a people who are not naturally faithful to God or to each other and to create in us a faithfulness to Christ and to each other because we have the best thing As Christians, we have the best thing. His name is Jesus. And the hardest part of the Christian life is just staying close to the best thing and staying faithful to the best thing. We already have the best thing. And the great challenge of the Christian life is just staying with him in a world where 
everything wants us to <laughs> go after something beside God. And so many of our fallen desires are to turn away from him. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to stay faithful to Jesus. And praise God, the Holy Spirit is in us to help us grow in being faith-filled and faithful. You guys ready for your Greek lesson of the week? Anybody, somebody, nobody? So the Greek word for... I'm not doing this to show off. I hate Greek word show-offs. Half the time they don't even know what they're doing. God bless them. But it's helpful for today because this is one of the weird words in Greek is that the same word for faith is also the same word for faithful in Greek. It's the word pistis. It means the same thing. Or it's the same word that means both things. When a Greek writer wanted to talk about having faith or having trust in someone, they would use the word pistis. And when a Greek writer wanted to talk about a person being faithful and committed and loyal, they would use the word pistis. It's the same word. And you can see that it's connected. Right? If you believe someone is trustworthy enough to give your loyalty to and you believe in them, that's faith. And when you are committed to somebody because you think that they're worthy of your loyalty, that's faith. It's a two-way trust street. And when you trust somebody, that's trust going towards them. And when you're loyal to somebody, you're acting in a way where their trust in you is worthy. Does that make sense? And so that's why in English, the word faith and faithful, the word faith is in both of them. But we kind of think of them differently, right? When I'm full of faith in Jesus, I'm loyal to Jesus. Amen? And if I have true faith in Jesus, I should be faithful to Jesus. When I trust him, I'm trustworthy. And you can see how these things are all connected. But in our heads, they feel like two different things. I believe in Jesus can in our heads sometimes be disconnected to I am loyal to Jesus. But it's the same word. And so I want to spend a bit of time just from Scripture enjoying... This word uh, pistis, which means faith and faithful. Because it's such a huge thing for us. The concept of faith, the concept of trust, as well as being faithful and trustworthy. So, one of the things that makes Christianity, or the religion based on the teachings of scripture, I use the R word, (laughs) don't freak out. Whether you like it or not, it's, we, it's become a religion. Um, it's totally different than all the other ones, but you can use the R word, and it's not a bad word. But what's different than what we're doing than everybody else is that we have a faith in God that gets us everything. As opposed to having to earn everything from a God which we sometimes call works righteousness or something else like that. Our relationship with God starts with us saying what God has done in Jesus is true. And when we believe that God is true, that he tells us what, what, that we believe what he told us about Jesus, that Jesus actually died and rose again, and that means we're right with God. When we believe in God... He front loads all the benefits right at the beginning. Amen? 
He says, for your belief, I give you the gift of rewards for all the works you could ever do. For your faith in Jesus, I gift to you all the benefits that Jesus won with his works. That's what's different. We don't... How's it different? I don't even know. It, this, it, it seems so simple, but it's hard to get into your heart. Every good thing that we will ever get from God as Christians is gifted to us for believing that Jesus earned it for us. And this is different than every other religion. All the other religions are you get introduced to a God and you spend the rest of your life doing things to keep them happy with the hope that they may not kill you. Including secular gods like modern governments. And unbelieving people. It's all works righteousness. What do you have to do to get your freedoms back right now? Whether you love it or hate it, it is a system of works righteousness. We'll just let that sink in for a bit. And again, you can love it and be all for it. Uh, there's no judgment on there, but it is a great example of how you need to earn your salvation. And what God is doing in his kingdom is a different thing. Well, let me quote, let me quote God himself on this subject. This is from the gospel of Romans. We should call it the gospel of Romans instead of the letter of Romans. Amen. This is in chapter 10. This is the words of Paul. He says this. Starting in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That word belief is connected to the word faith. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is our gospel. If you call on the name of Jesus, but you, because you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord, that he's God, if you believe it, he graciously bestows all his riches on you for calling on him. And you could even say, well, isn't the calling a work? No, it's like the least you can do. You know, he's leaning on the, I believe, and therefore I say, help God. Like, it is the least worky work you can even think of to ask for God to come. And he will graciously give you his riches just because you believe. His riches, it's the R word. There's the other R word. If you're triggered by religion, don't get triggered by riches. He wants to give you the riches of the kingdom for your faith. Amen? Side note. If you want to feel the weight of what is going on here, you ought to imagine the Apostle Paul as an indigenous Canadian writing a gospel letter to a church in Ottawa, asking them to give him money so that he can go on a mission trip down to the States. 
Because Paul is a Jew who is a conquered and persecuted people amongst the Romans. His city in Jerusalem is ruled over by Roman soldiers who kill whichever Jews they want to when they think that they're causing trouble. And here he is, as a Jew, writing a letter to a church in Rome, which is the capital of oppression in the first century, trying to convince these Romans and these Jewish people that because they call on the name of the same God, they are one people all Accepted by faith. That's all it takes to get along is believing that the other people are also accepted by God through faith. End of side note. No, back to side note. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no distinction. There is now no distinction. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. There are two races right now. People who call on the name of the Lord and people who don't. And the world's going to want to try to mess that up right now. We're on the cusp of one of the great racial conflict times in human history. Let's just get clear what God thinks. Now, the issue of faith is so important to God that if you try to preach a gospel that isn't just based on faith in Jesus, God himself will curse you. He will treat you like an abomination and want to throw you into hell and consider you his enemy and try to destroy you. The Apostle Paul had a church in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he had planted a solid church that was based on faith in Jesus Christ alone and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then some people came from Jerusalem and started to teach them that They needed to undergo a cosmetic medical surgery in order to be fully accepted by God. And if they did undergo this cosmetic medical surgery, they'd actually be closer to God and superior to other people who don't have the cosmetic medical surgery. And the Apostle Paul writes this in the book of Galatians. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. For even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to the Apostle Paul. So... There you go. Here's the one time you get to do it. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I now trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And he will go on from there to defend the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. In Jesus Christ. But just. If your God is cursing people. Wouldn't you want to take seriously. Why they're getting cursed. 
If in time he's saying, if anybody does this thing, God hates their guts and sets his heart to destroy them. Wouldn't you want to know, like if there were a big target on the ground and the missile or the bomb was coming down from the airplane and it was going to hit the target, would you not want to be standing on that thing when it reaches ground zero? And the issue was this, something besides Jesus and faith in him was becoming the thing that people were putting their faith in. That's serious business. Pistis is a big deal. Now let's keep working forward to this fruit of the Spirit thing. And what I want to say today in part is that this gift of faith, which is how we are saved, and this gift of faith, which is so important that nothing else will get us right with God, and anything else substituted for faith in Jesus Christ gets us separated from God, is that Scripture sees this as a gracious gift from God as well, like I've been saying. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, listen to that word, it has been granted, it has been given, it has been allowed to you, it has been gifted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so this is what Paul's saying. You guys are going to experience conflict in Philippi and all the pressure is going to be on to get you to not be faithful to Jesus and not be faithful to one another and to not be unified in your proclamation of the gospel. But you need to know that it's been given to you not only to believe in Jesus, so to believe has been given to you by Jesus, but also to suffer with him and like him as you do the work of being the church and proclaiming the gospel. But here I'm just wanting to highlight that this faith that we have from God is one of the great things we get to thank God for that we have. Would you like to have great theology? Would you like to have your brain a place where you don't get yourself in trouble with your thoughts about God? Here's a simple rule. Is it a good thing? Give God the glory for it. Is it something you're grateful for? Give God the glory for it. Is it something that you're really blessed by? Give God the glory for it. You won't get into any trouble in life if it's like, man, this is good. Praise God. You know, just look away from yourself a little bit. Thank God. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. And if by some chance it turns out that at the final judgment he says, actually, you did that, you'll survive it. But it's way better for him to say, you did that, than for him to have to tell you, actually, I did that. You know what I mean? Like, you won't get yourself in trouble by giving God the glory. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. Now, the understanding from Scripture is that this living faith we have from God, towards God, towards Christ is going to produce in us a radical faithfulness to Christ. 
It's the Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians, who's wrestling with this church again. They are just pressured by so many things to be unfaithful to Christ. They've got false teachers. They've got the prosperity gospel. They've got the sexual license gospel. They've got you can do whatever you want with your body gospel. They've got the um, battle of the sexes gospel. They've got every single kind of pressure for division. And, And Paul is wrestling with them with all his passion as a father in the kingdom. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He's about to talk about his trip to heaven without naming his own name. And he says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Not for himself, but he says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And so as he's trying to find a word picture to help them understand why he is so zealous that from the very depths of their soul and in every corner of their mind and with every movement of their body, they would just display faithfulness to Jesus and smell like faithfulness to Jesus and think faithfulness to Jesus. He reaches out to the most exclusive commitment human beings can make to each other. He says, I am so jealous for you. And we would typically think for me. I want you to take care of me and be faithful to me. And he's not. He's like the ultimate matchmaker. He's like that servant from Genesis who's sent by Abraham to go and find a bride for his son. And he's like, I just, I'm out there to try to find this bride for my master's son. He's like, I have this divine jealousy from you. My heart is full of jealousy from God for your heart for Christ. Because I feel like I went out there and I arranged your marriage to the Lord Jesus. And I want to get you to the day of seeing Jesus face to face with your purity and your devotion and your love and your excitement 100% intact towards Him. No, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas bachelorette party along the way. And so he's, he's wrestling with them saying, with, with all of his, I love this, with all of his heart, he's saying, oh, I'm not supposed to do this, I had surgery this week. Okay. Uh, with all of his heart, he's just saying, my whole mission is to maintain your zeal for faithfulness to the man Christ Jesus while you're on the earth. I want you to be as excited about him as possible. I want you to be as committed to him as possible. I want you to be as loyal to him as possible. I want you to be enjoying him as much as possible. I want you to be zealous for him as much as possible. I want you to be knowing the reality that you have the best man. I want you to see the truth that there is nothing with all of the universe added up together that even holds a candle to your future husband. That everything that you could even think is good comes from him and everything is tainted compared to him and his heart is overflowing with faith-filled loyalty towards you and he desires you and I don't want you to have any regret. When you see him. And so I'm fighting for your faithfulness. The soul of your heart. For the man Christ Jesus. 
And he writes these super painful letters, excommunicating people here and blowing up people's theology there. And he's just an absolute theological Navy SEAL. Why? Because he wants to win or he wants to be right or because his, he's got hurt feelings? No. He wants this church to be as faithful and faith-filled in Jesus as possible. And it's good to know that Paul isn't the only one who feels like this. Because Jesus himself is calling us to these amazingly committed relationships. Jesus doesn't want an open marriage. Jesus doesn't want us to be the mistress on the side. He he came to be the one for us. And he wants that back in return. And we need to hear that. To be a Christian is a commitment to 100% loyalty to Jesus and repenting of everything else and getting free of everything else along the way. And not because Jesus is mean or he loses his temper, but because he wants us. 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 Oh my goodness. You've never been wanted by anybody like Jesus wants you. You have never been wanted by anyone the way Jesus wants you, Christian. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole soul. He wants your body. He wants your hair. He wants your toes. He wants your past. He wants your present. He wants your future. He wants your eternity. He wants to be with you forever. 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 Nobody wants to be with me forever. Even my best friends will be like, the dad jokes are a bit much. I need to go to bed for eight hours. Jesus does not want to go to sleep. He wants us forever. And so when he talks about this kind of loyalty and this faithful relationship, he says things that when unbelievers read this, they think Jesus must have been a tyrant or a madman or a megalomaniac to say stuff like this. Like in Luke nine twenty three and following, he says, He said to all, if anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. That's intense. Can we just own the truth? Those are severe words. You're ashamed of me? You don't like what I said? You don't like my Bible? Ashamed of my Bible? Okay, I'm going to be ashamed of you too when we see each other. Don't like what I said, I'm not going to like what you said. You say, oh, there's a little bit too much culture in this book. We're going to, and I'm going to say there's a little bit too much world in your heart. That's severe. And what Jesus is getting at is he, he's trying to say this. Know yourself. Know yourself. This whole world is nonstop seduction. And we tend to want to be seduced. This whole world is nonstop deception, and we would usually rather be deceived. 
This whole world is a non-stop system of anti-God and suppression of the truth of God. And we often would find it easier and more pleasant to go along with it. And so Jesus says to us, this, this kind of faithful relationship where everything I am is yours is going to cost you a world that doesn't want me. And you can't have it both ways. I won't be your booty call. And one of the best things the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is he helps us see the truth. That Jesus is better than everything, guys. Jesus really is better than everything. He's better than your wife. He's better than your husband. He's better than your parents. He's better than your kids. He's better than your career. He's better than all money. He's better than Canada. He's better than our health care system. He's better than our monetary system. He's better than our education system. Jesus is worth more than all the sum of all the human accomplishments and all human praise and all human money. When you go to heaven and you see the angels and the living creatures saying all honor and all glory and all power and all praise belong to him and to the lamb, they're telling the truth because Jesus is not only the owner of all these things, but he's better than all these things. And the crazy thing right now is that nobody yet enjoys Christ as much as could he could be enjoyed in this life. I've got good news for you. However good it's ever been with Jesus, you can enjoy him more in this life. And I think the cost is just wanting more and, and seeking a bit more. Not as a works thing, but just like the hungry get fed in the kingdom of God and the thirsty get drink in the kingdom of God and the promise when we're not hungry and we don't thirst. Now, this can sound terrifying, but the good news is, is that Jesus actually gives us many good things when we love him more than anything. Amen? You value the kingdom, meaning Jesus, more than anything else, he's going to give you everything you need. He's a good husband. He doesn't buy a boat and then ask you to live off of craft dinner. Amen? He doesn't buy himself a quad and then say you can't go shopping for the kids. He wants to lay down his life for us for all of eternity. His whole plan is to take everything the Father has ever owned and to receive it from the Father and then give it to his bride as the wedding gift. When we come to meet him, he's going to say, here is all of creation and, it, and all of eternity as our wedding present. Let's enjoy it together. It's amazing. He is amazing. And so what do we do in response? I think... In one sense, the Christian life is just enjoying God's faithfulness more and more every day. And then growing in our faithfulness to him and each other based on that. Hebrews 13, I think it is, says, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me?
Keep your life free from these other things that want your faithfulness and be content with what you have because Jesus has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, Jesus is my helper. I I don't have to be afraid. What can people do to me? So church, in the name of of God, I want to just call us and encourage us in something. I want us to put our trust in God that the Holy Spirit is in the world and in our midst and in our hearts to open our eyes to the glory of Jesus, which means to make us see how he is worth more than everything so that we can be happy in Jesus. And peaceful in having him. And then not to sabotage our own lives by treating everyone and everything like something we, we need to hold on to with tooth and claw. But instead we can be generous and faithful with our hearts to each other. Because we have more than everything we need in Jesus Christ himself. Amen. So, Father, would you, I guess I can invite the band to come up. Jesus, you're everything my heart wants. And I'm so often so blind to this. Jesus, I want something perfect to adore. And you're that. I want something good I can never lose. And you're that. I want someone to love me for who I am. And you're that. And I want someone to love me enough to bring out the best in me. And you're that. And I want someone who will never leave me or forsake me. And you're that. Jesus, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. And you're that. Jesus, I want to be a part of a family. And you're that. Jesus, I want to be rich. And you're that. Jesus, I want to be creative. And you're that. Jesus, I want to be a blessing. And you're that. Jesus, I want to bring joy to people. And you're that. You are everything my heart's ever wanted. And Holy Spirit, would you go rage monster on everything that keeps us from seeing that Jesus is everything we want and need. I pray you do that for Steinbeck. Lord, you know we squabble over nothingness here sometimes. Would you do that for Canada? Lord, you know we're so impressed by things that are so frail here. Would you make us to see that Jesus is everything we've ever wanted? Grant us faithful hearts, not as an accomplishment, but as a way of keeping the door to heaven open. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.